Lord, I pray for your anointing over this place in Jesus' name. I pray that you silence our hearts, Lord, to hear from you. If we haven't spoken to you a while, Lord, let us recognize that. Lord, soften our hearts to hear from your word today. Use it to draw us closer to you, to one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I have to confess I'm slightly nervous for today. Someone shook their head and said, no. Yeah, I am. (laughs) So I hope I handle this topic well. I hope I handle it with God's heart. There's so much to celebrate in what God has made. And yet there's so much to grieve. And how far we've come sometimes from what God has made. I was watching the sun rise as I walked over to church today and I just thought about God's creation, how beautiful it is. And out of all of his creation, he made us. In his image, with gender, and we have the capacity that none of creation has, a capacity to connect with other people. That's part of what makes us the... Part of the image of God. He loves to connect with you. He loves to see you connect with others. And if we trace how Satan has attacked God's very good creation, we see how hard he has tried to prevent you from connecting. When we get our sexuality mixed up, it prevents us from connecting. It isolates, it hides us. And we had a men's event yesterday, and I got to talk to the men a little more specifically on this topic. And I shared with them that it makes me sad that a lot of people don't have an outlet in the church to know how to get healthy in this area of their life. And then I rephrase this. It actually doesn't just make me sad. It makes me mad. It makes me mad. There is a way that God has provided for us to live, and it's a good way. And we're going to learn about that this morning. So let's roll to our next slide. So how do you respond to this? Okay. We're evaluating culture. How do you respond? Sexual expression is a personal choice. There's no right or wrong way. I think most of us would say, no. (laughs) But like last week, why no? Right? 
A lot of times we've rooted our answers in the past to say things like, well, because it's against the rules. Our culture will ask, whose rules? And why are there rules, right? Another wrong answer would be to say, "Ah, it's just tradition. Because grandma wouldn't be happy. (laughs) We can give better answers than that through the scripture. We can reflect God's heart in that. So next slide, please. So, when you see this at a stoplight, what does that mean you're supposed to do? Stop, right? If you see the walking man, what does that mean you get to do? Walk, right? Now, what if someone told you that it was the other way around? What would you say to them? You say, you're going to get hit by a car, (laughs) right? You know, there's some issues as Christians we can agree to disagree on. Um, This isn't one of them, okay? This is one of those, you're going to get hit by a car. It's going to hurt. (laughs) Um, I'll mention this, this message is also for all ages, okay? I understand that some of us are married, but I think those that aren't married uh, might need to hear this even more, because this might even be more of a challenge. So let's, let's go to this next slide. So that's how we used to think of our walking signals. Look at this. One town did this to promote that sexual expression can come in all ways. The walking man was a little too limited for them, so they wanted to show that Hey, any, any way you express your gender, go on ahead. Next slide. And that's how our culture views it, right? So this is just from uh, 2022, and this is the approval ratings of our culture, meaning they say this is totally acceptable. Okay? We celebrate this. This is good. Okay? So 76% of our culture would say that um, having sex outside of marriage is good. We celebrate that. Um, 71% would say homosexuality. Good. We celebrate that. Okay? Green light. Go ahead and cross the street, guys. For, 41% would say that pornography is acceptable. I actually thought that was going to be higher, to be honest. Um, which, which is interesting to me um, that how much, you know, often we can look at some of these other things in the church. So well, I'm, I'm not attracted to the wrong gender, but for pornography, that's a trap for a lot of men in the church and women. Uh, and even, even the culture itself is coming to realize the destruction of that. Okay? Even, especially keeping that a secret in a marriage, even the culture would say, oh, that's, that's going to hurt. <laughs> that's going to hurt. Um, 23% think that having an open relationship is fine. Or polygamy, having more than one partner 
This one shocked me. 9% say totally acceptable if you have an affair. I wonder if their spouse saw that answer. Because <laughs> I don't think there's... I don't think your spouse would be on the same page with that. Um, here's just another random statistic. The average age of exposure on the internet uh, to young people is between 11 and 12 years old these days. And so, there's a conversation to be had there. Okay? I think God's heart not just beats, but burns for his children to know what he's made and why he's made it. And it's not just out in the culture. This is just shocking to me. As we look to this next slide, this is views on sexuality in the church from proclaimed Christians. This first one, that sex outside of marriage, they, they did a, a, some research of um, they called it casual sex outside of marriage, not even in a committed relationship. Over half of Christians say, that's fine, way to go. And even as evangelicals, one-third of proclaimed evangelical Christians say, oh, that's just fine. Okay? So for the 50% of Christians that are telling you that this means go, okay, there's an absence of truth there, okay? That 50% really needs to hear, why did God create sexuality in the first place? What's his intention on it? Now, for the 50% that are struggling with their sexuality and living out what they believe is right, they need some grace and some help, okay? They understand the truth. And they might need a little more balance of a grace message to say, hey, we're going to come alongside you and we're going to help you grow. Okay? But that's different than someone that's got the red light, green light thing just flipped around. Okay? You can give them grace. It doesn't matter. Grace is not going to help them. Okay? Because they are totally missing the signs of God's intent for this thing called sexuality. So, what does God have to say about this? Let's go to this next slide. What, what, what is sexuality? And to a certain point, why doesn't it mean anything anymore? I was looking at a textbook from when I was going to uh, my Christian college uh, around 15 years ago. So it's dated. But back then they had done some research that a young person was getting 14,000 sexual messages each year. So about 48, I think I did the math, 48 a day. I'm sure it's way more than that. It is just bombarded in our advertising, in our culture. Um, it's messed up. There's addiction, abuse. It just isn't what it was meant to be. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians. There's a way that this is meant to be. And let's go to our first verse, please. So in verse 1, it says, God, God shows the way of what this is supposed to look like. 
says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He's going to bring up the topic of sexuality and he starts off by saying, we've talked about this before. Paul, like a good parent to the church, is saying, let's keep this conversation going. Okay? Because God cares about this. And if we get this right, a watching world is going to be shocked. Because it's often so hard. Verse 3. This is, this is a great verse for young people when they're trying to decide what to do for their career. So you want to know what God's will for, is for you? It says right here. Pick whatever job. <laughs> and work on this in your life. It says, for God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Verse 6. Never harm or cheat the fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife or his spouse. For the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. All right, this verse might make you uncomfortable in your seat. And that's the intended effect of this verse. <laughs> so we are all accountable to the Lord. So one of the devastating effects of sexual sin, it hurts a lot of different categories. We're going to look at some of them. One of them is that it harms, it cheats your spouse. You drag someone else into this, whether they want to be or not, whether they know about it or not. For you're created as one flesh. And so if you are sexually immoral, it drags them into that as well. You promise to them something, a connection, and then you're taking that connection away. And it says, you don't have to be worried about your spouse as much as the Lord. What, what does the Lord think about this? In a certain way, the Lord is coming after you. But he's coming after you as a good father. Because you're walking a crosswalk into oncoming traffic. If Hosanna lets go of my hand in the parking lot or by a busy street and she makes a bolt for it, what does a good dad do? He runs. <laughs> Comes after you. Say, Hosanna, your life is intended for something other than the middle of the road. 
Hosanna, before you were born, I dreamt about what you'd grow up to be. I don't want that to end here. There's so much more ahead of you to embrace and enjoy how I have made you to be. God wants to get into that spot of your life so bad. And like Adam in the garden who covered up his sexuality, who was ashamed, and who hid. Who said, you know what? I don't think I'm good enough anymore. So I'm going to go be alone. Church, stop being alone. God made you to connect and have life. He is so much for you. And I think we miss out on that as the church because we don't address it. Song of Songs is a book in the Bible that just celebrates sexuality. The very first verse says that this is a song more wonderful than any other. It's meant to be beautiful in its rightful place. Let's go to another passage here. We're going to head over to 1 Corinthians after we do this one. I told you I'm nervous. So 1 Thessalonians, it ends here, this passage. It says, What's the authority of this? It says, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, okay, but is rejecting God who gives us his Holy Spirit, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So, this scripture, it's a little heavy-handed. It's saying this is based on God's authority, okay? He designed this, and he designed it for a good purpose. Now let's go over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 5. We'll go to our first verse. All right. So this is a church that is supposed to be seeing stop, a stop sign. Instead, they're just going and celebrating it. They're celebrating the wrong thing. We have a lot to celebrate in how God has made us. But they're celebrating the wrong thing. And he says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. He says, it's something that even pagans don't do. He says, I'm told that a man in the church is living in sin with his stepmother. Okay? Now, it doesn't say that I heard. Poor little guy. 
It doesn't say that someone in the church is struggling with sin. Okay? I had a youth pastor once. He says, you know, I, he said he was approached by someone, young man, saying, you know, I'm really, I'm really struggling in this area of my life. And the youth pastor caught him by surprise by saying, good. And he goes, what do you, what do you mean good? What do you mean good that I'm struggling in this area of my life? He goes, that means you're taking a stand for what God wants to do in your life rather than just giving up. Now, this situation is different. It doesn't say he's struggling. There's no repentance, no acknowledgement. He's in the 50% of those Christians who say, that's great, this is fine. And the rest of the church, it says, you're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning and sorrow and shame. It says, you should remove this man from your fellowship. It's not just false living, but also false teaching, saying, this is fine. It's not. It's not. Now, I don't think any of us is living with our stepmother, okay? So before we think of, well, that's just somebody out there, <laughs> think of your own life here. Is there anything you're giving a free pass on in your life? Verse 6, let's get forward just a bit. It says, your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? You've got to be careful what you celebrate and what you enjoy. Because that's also contagious. That's why those stoplights are getting rid of the walking man. <laughs> to say, any which way you want to go is fine. Your life has influence. Little feet will follow where you go. Many of us will die for our families, but will you live for yours? Moving forward. Verse 9. He says, this isn't even the first time we've had this conversation. He says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Because I'm not talking about unbelievers, okay? I hope this church would be filled to the brim of pews of people walking in saying, I want to check out this way of life called the church and what God wants for my life. I would expect that their life might be a little messy, Okay? And they might be making up their mind. But if we're going to be claiming to following the way of Christ, it says, then live it out. Don't call red green or green red. Okay? The path is set. Pace will work with. What's the next step in our life? We all have a next step. But if someone wants to tell you it's that way when it's this way, we're not budging on that. Okay? There's, there's not grace for that one. Okay? We say, no, this is, what is God, this is what God has originally intended in creation for our flourishing and His glory. 
That path is set. Now we can do that and still welcome people in that maybe even first step of accepting Christ and starting to grow. Okay? So he continues, I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. He goes, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, who are greedy, who cheat, worship idols. In some ways, those are synonyms to sexual sin. Greed, right? I want more than God has given me. Cheating, taking from what's rightfully uh, others, and really worshiping an idol. There's a great quote from Paul Tripp who says, We were made to worship, and we will. If your heart doesn't celebrate the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ, it's going to look for something else. Don't walk around with a hungry heart. I think praise is a wonderful, wonderful way to root ourselves in our sexuality. Say, God, you are beautiful. You are worthy of praise. You are the connection that satisfies my soul. And he does satisfy. This last sentence, it says, you'd have to leave the world to avoid people like that. We want to be in the world. We want to show people, hey, there's a different way you could live. Look at my life. It's actually satisfying right we talked about that two weeks ago and last week but show us that marriage that has love in it after 50 years show that it works be in the world but not of it verse 11 says i meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin is greedy, worships idols, abusive, drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. This is pretty harsh, all right? The Western church doesn't view church discipline in this way very much. But for someone who's saying that the path is the wrong path, and it takes repeated times to say that's not right, And they're saying, no, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. Free love, man. (laughs) No. At some point, you have to say, that is not us. Next slide. He goes, it is not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly, certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. And again, that idea of sinning, it's beyond just struggling. It's the person who has locked in their ways and saying, I'm fine where I'm at. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Honestly, if I were to write this, I probably would have softened it up. (laughs) 
but would it really be right for me not to run after someone in the middle of the street? So often we get this mixed up. We judge the people on the outside who haven't even claimed our worldview. We say, hey, that's wrong. They say, how come? Well, because God in the Bible that you reject says so. <laughs> so much we judge people on the outside. We're comfortable with that. Or we might judge people on the inside though we might not be in a position to do so. Overseers of the church and elders have that primary responsibility. Accountable for holding people in a pace of grace. That if we see someone acting dead, to lovingly go to them and be like, are you okay? I'm not seeing the growth. Are you okay? Is your heart beating? Are you connected to the love of Christ? Is that beating through your veins, right? What usually we don't even go to is, how about when we take the body and blood and communion, the scripture says, examine yourself. Aren't we first and primarily accountable to ourselves? When we take communion, it says, examine yourself. Are there any rooms that you refuse to give the key to, to the Lord? Verse 14. Or maybe, next slide, please. First Corinthians 6, thanks. This is our last chapter today. We'll go to our first verse. So, Paul engages his culture. The things that they're saying. And he says this to the Corinthians. He goes, alright, here's, here's a few things you guys are saying. And I'm going to give you God's heart to this. He says, first, you're saying that you're allowed to do anything. They're taking this message of Jesus Christ over to license. If you're saying you can do anything, he goes... Yeah, Jesus died for every sin. That's true. But those sins aren't good for you. They're killing you, man. Another one, he goes, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. I say, okay. But you know, must not become a slave to anything. You have freedom in Christ, sure. But use your freedom to love others, not to destroy them. Not to destroy yourself. Again, he says, you say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This idea that it's going to connect it to our sexuality. Basically, just, it's just an appetite. That's all it is. He goes, it's true. Food is made for the stomach. Someday God will do away with them both. The second half of verse 13 says this. Go to the next slide, please. This is my favorite verse out of the whole thing. I love it. I love it. 
because it shows what God originally intended. He says, you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. If you go look in the research, psychology, biology, sexual sin destroys people. They've done studies to what it does to the brain. It's not good. Your body was not made for that. It says that your bodies were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about your bodies. He does. He's a dad who really, really cares about you. And we hide from him, thinking he's coming to hurt us. He's coming to find us. He's shown us that most clearly through Jesus Christ. For he who did not withhold his own son from us, will he not give us all things, as the scripture says. God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm coming for you. Though you are dead in your sins, I want to make you alive. The Father came running. The story Jesus told of the prodigal son who was envious of what the pigs got to eat. He followed his own appetites and realized it was deception. It says that while he was still far off, the father saw him on the horizon and he ran. And before that son could get a speech out to say, I'm not worthy to be your child, he wrapped his arms around him put his ring on him and said, let's celebrate for my son was dead, but now he is found. God cares. That's why he's sometimes so firm here. It says, and God will raise us from the dead by his power just as He raised our Lord from the dead. Remember the Gospel that sin and death are swallowed up in victory thanks to Jesus Christ? That is all sin. That is the sin we don't talk about at the church. Verse 15, please. It goes on then to show God cares about your bodies and he wants you to be able to connect. He says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? You're connected with the Holy Spirit. Should a man then take this body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. 
Sexual sin has a strong connection. A connection that's meant to be with the Lord. With your spouse. And then it roots it into creation itself. If you remember from last week. For the scriptures say the two shall be united into one. The person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Verse 18. So run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So we've seen how sexual sin, it, it hurts a community. It spreads like yeast. It hurts the Lord. You drag Him into it. It hurts your spouse. It harms and shoots them. And it hurts yourself. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. And you don't belong by yourself. You weren't made to be alone. You weren't made to be in the dark. You weren't made to be shackled to this sin. You were made to be loved by God, by one another. You were made to be accepted. Connected. That's the vision of heaven that we're given. That every tribe, every tongue, every nation will bow before the throne of God and there will be peace. There will be fellowship. That's the picture that we're to image on Sunday mornings as we gather as the church. We're preparing for heaven when for all eternity we can praise Him together in peace and in fellowship. We're going to image that in our marriages. I understand that this topic will probably have the deepest wounds in your life. God cares about that. And let's go to this next verse. And God paid for that. He took on that burden and paid that price so that you don't have to. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Thank you, Jesus. He paid for that. For you, for your spouse, For each other in this church, 
for the person in culture that has lost their way. Jesus shed his blood to pay for that. We don't have to hold it. Jesus comes like he was looking for Adam. Insert your name. He says, where are you? At first, Adam was afraid and he hid. But God called him out of that hiding place. And it says that he covered Adam with animal skins as a covering. Saying, yeah, this wasn't what I intended. And yes, this brings deep wounds. But something else is going to pay for that. And that was Jesus Christ. The Father's hand is extended to you this morning. Take his hand. Let's go to our last slide this morning. Much like last week, How do you engage this? First, we have to engage it for ourselves. We've all sinned. We all have a broken sexuality, and so we have to say first, as we look at God's hand reached out to us, we say, God, I trust that what your hand created was good. You had great intentions for it. And I can see how it's been so messed up. Satan attacks the most beautiful of things. This is one of them. Say, God, I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. And then thirdly, I know that your hand for me is to restore me to bring me to life. To connect me. To love. To grace. To truth. That restoration is possible. I can tell you in my life, God has pulled me out of that trap. And He used other people in my life to reach a hand out, to 
hold on to mine. So he is reaching out to you. And he has people in your life, I believe, that have at hand to you. Not to harm you, but a hand to love you. And he has called us to be that hand to one another. A hand of truth and grace. And I believe that this next generation and our culture is afraid that hand is stretched out to hit them. But it is a hand to redeem, to love. So let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Scripture says, Blessed the poor in spirit, Blessed are the meek. God is closest to the brokenhearted. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall rejoice. When you let God into the deepest wound in your life, it's not going to feel good at first. We praise God for his healing. So if you're feeling that this morning, praise God for the healing. Stop covering it up. Let his spirit do its work. In that spot. Let's pray. Lord, the pain is real. I thank you that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I think of a hospital operating table as a surgery is done and a wound is healed and, and taken care of. I pray for protection, Lord, that the lies of the enemy, the accusations, the fear, the shame, we bind that and cast that out in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, let there be no contaminants on the operating table. But let your loving hand heal and restore. We give grace to our church as 
we follow your truth. In Jesus' name we pray.